All right, I gotta know. Yes, I'm about to activate it. No, 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 not that. What the hell does Cree mean? Well, actually, it means a lot of things. Um, loosely translated, it means uh, attention, listen up, concentrate. You who? Yes, in a manner of speaking. Huh. Okay. Here goes. Who fucks? Welcome to the Cree You Who podcast. We're doing a little bit of a different thing in between the seasons. Um, we just finished season three. We're heading into season four. So the bonus this week is going to be reviewing the movie, 1985 movie, Enemy Mine. By the way, if you're just joining us, my name is Andrew, but this is an absolutely terrible episode for you to start on. So you should know who I am by now. Go back to the beginning and start over. What are you doing, you freak? Anyway, uh, <laughs> so in season four, which is coming up, there's this episode called The First Ones, and I believe it's later in season seven, there's an episode literally called Enemy Mine. So it's very clear that they're going for the obvious reference is obvious here. Very, very egregious homage. Um... So I thought, you know, it's coming up. I'm going to have to decide how many reference points to give it. So I might as well just watch the movie. And then I'll, then I'll know. And since I'm watching the movie, and since it's relevant <laughs> to the whole Una storyline, <laughs> um, I'll give you guys a little bit of a chit-chat about it on the pod. So, um, what can I say? What can I say? This movie is long. It's actually not that long for a, for a movie. But it feels so, so long. It's uh, 108 minutes, apparently, but it felt like a lifetime. (laughs) Hey, uh, one of the reviews, uh, it might have even been Roger Ebert, says, The movie makes absolutely no compromises on its vision, on its art direction, on its makeup and prosthetics, on its story, but it compromises on everything else. (laughs) I think that's quite true. I think this movie has a uh, wall, just massively original and awesome thing that it's aiming at. And in the end, makes it kind of like, I don't know, the labyrinth set on another planet or something like that. (laughs) It's very much of that vintage Um, just walking around these big practical sets where things are dark and spooky and suddenly alien puppets pop out of nowhere and cause us drama and danger. And there's also other species and stuff. (laughs) I was, yeah, I was comparing it in my brain to the labyrinth. So what's with the title, Enemy Mine? I mean, I I guess this will be spoiler alert, um, I'm going to go through this film and give you most of the plot points and all of the spoilers so that you don't have to watch it yourself. <laughs> this is not a regular episode where I'm assuming you've seen it. This one, I'm going to walk you through it because you don't need to see it. I'll just just start off with that. You know what? I don't think this is essential sci-fi viewing. <laughs> but anyway, the title, um, Enemy Mine... As far as I can tell, there is not a mine in this 
movie. <laughs> Maybe at the very, very end, there's some kind of industrial plant thing. The movie is about two guys hiding in a cave, but and they're so they're both um, alien. They're both pilots, the human pilot and the alien pilot. They're called Drac, Drax, D R A C, little reptilian dudes. They're both pilots who have been shot down on this deserted planet where the elements are trying to kill them. And uh, as they say very pertinently halfway through the film, if the planet doesn't kill us, then we're going to kill each other. <laughs> so they have to learn to live together. So that's obviously where the, the Stargate episode, the first ones, is coming in from. Daniel and Shaka find themselves together and learn each other's language and learn to live together so that they can both fulfill something. <laughs> yeah. The human guy is called Davidge, played by um, Dennis Quaid. And the alien Drac, who becomes known as Jerry, nickname, is played by Louis Gossett Jr. Amazing. Also a Stargate veteran. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. Stop everything. We haven't got anywhere near the, the season where Louis Gossett Jr. comes in as a Jafar, so I hadn't even thought about putting him on the guest star list. But you know what? He is absolutely on the beloved recurring guest star five-point category, so he gets five points for this movie. <laughs> Holy shit. That's funny. So anyway, these two guys. Most of the movie is them being best buds. The And then... At the beginning of the movie, they're enemies. At the later part of the movie, um, Jerry's dead. Sorry. So, it's really weird that it's called Enemy Mine. <laughs> you know, I thought it was, like, just from the title, I thought it was something very different. Like, he goes to this planet and tries to infiltrate an enemy mine or something. And it's not that at all. They're two castaways. It's Robinson Crusoe with a alien buddy. Um, and it's almost like the title is a pun, saying that you are no enemy of mine, or something like that. Yeah, anyway, I think I've lingered too long on the title. <laughs> so, let's just go point for point, and I'll try and race through it as quickly as I can for you, because it's pretty agonizing to watch it, and I can already imagine it maybe a little bit agonizing to listen to it, too. <laughs> It opens with a big look at outer space with some planets and some stars, and um, the visual effects in the 80s were there. <laughs> they uh, did not avail themselves of them. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. It's definitely fiction, because the first words that are spoken is that uh, the Earth has become peaceful. World peace has been achieved. So that's never going to happen. <laughs> This is a long, long, long way in the future or something. Um, and so humans in the year, what is it, 2092, have decided to start colonizing star systems and stuff. So they go out and encounter reptilian species, non-human aliens, who don't even have a gender binary. They're just one thing, and it reproduces by just occasionally spitting out another thing. <laughs> um the Drax. They claim squatters' rights on many different worlds. So we go right into the action, and right here I was like, wow, you know what? This is vintage Stargate. Suddenly, four 
things that look a lot like death gliders swoop into view in, a, in an attack run. This whole opening really reminds me of Jerry Anderson. This is like vintage Jerry, Jerry Anderson, 1965, Super Mario Nation, Captain Scarlet and the Misteron stuff. Misterons, sworn enemies of Earth. Anyway, um, the, yeah, the Drac fighters. Look, this is weird. <laughs> this is really incredible that this opening dog dogfight could have come out of a Stargate episode. But of course, you gotta flip it the other way around, because this came first by a long way. Stargate is definitely touching on this. <laughs> Whether deliberately or not, um... And then human space fighters come in, and they look, for all intents and purposes, look like uh, Naboo fighters from the planet Naboo in the movie The Phantom Menace. <laughs> also hasn't come out yet, but uh, they're really... It's like Death Gliders versus Naboo fighters. It's crazy to see this and just go, wow, this is 1985 when none of that stuff existed? <laughs> What's happening here? So Dennis Quaid is the flight leader. He's a cocky son of a bitch. His name is Davidge. He's like a like Maverick, but when Maverick's having his um like stroppy middle of the movie bad mood period <laughs> and he's not very charming. But anyway, he's so cocky about getting this kill that he's talking about what he's going to do later, you know, oh, you're going on a date tonight, huh? What's her name? It's like, this is just business to him. Every day he shoots down Drax in their planes. But he's so cocky about this one that he goes in close for the for the kill, just to, you know, pride is the downfall, right? And uh, there is a Stargate SG-1 episode coming later where Tilk and O'Neill are in a fucking death glider chasing an Elkesh into the atmosphere and O'Neill's like, Pull up, Tilk! Pull up! <laughs> it's exactly like this. <laughs> it's crazy. So he hits the, the, the ship and the Drac pilot ejects in a little pod and then their plane crash lands. And um, yeah, his guy behind him dies the wingman in his in his rear cockpit um and you know what before that in the dogfight uh, another plane exploded human plane with two crew aboard so altogether that makes three people on Davidge's human team dead they're red shirts i'm giving it three points <laughs> this movie gets some points <laughs> um but basically he has like a weird three minute funeral for his best friend, like, Goose is dead, it's, t it's real Top Gun stuff, yeah. <laughs> um, buries his best friend in a little can of rocks, and then, for some reason, okay, we started the movie with, like, comforting old white man narrator, and now it goes to Dennis Quaid into first person narration, uh, and it's so weird. I was on a planet with a non-gender binary reptile. I was going to find him. We was, you know, it was like we, like he's uh, reading out his report, like he's going to escape and make a battle report later or something like that. 
it's so weird the narration aspects and that there's two different narrators in the first 10 minutes so he eventually tracks down where the other ship crash landed the pod and there's this establishing thing of um that on this planet alien planet there are these pits with these weird sarlacc creatures in them. I mean, that's really what they are. And this is Star Wars has been and gone. And the director of this, uh, Wolfgang Peterson, has specifically said he hates Star Wars sci-fi. Doesn't want it to have anything to do with it. So he's he's not trying to rip this off. This is in the no, the novel. Uh, sorry, in the novella that this is based on. Um, but that's basically what it is. It's a sarlacc pit, you know some waving arms that come out of the sand and drag you down to a giant clawy beaky thing <laughs> with crazy eyes and jaws and teeth it's uh, also a little bit like in the lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring the watcher in the water when they go into the mine of oh, mine so for some reason in the year 2092 um mr davidge pilot Officer Davidge is uh, carrying a Walter PPK, just like James Bond did in 1964. <laughs> I guess you just can't improve on a classic. <laughs> oh my god, what the fuck. So, Davidge is tracking the thing, you know, the crash ship, he hears splashing, and uh, it's, again, vintage Stargate. This, it's even got, a, he's even got like a little pair of Colonel O'Neill mini binoculars to spy on the, the alien <laughs> down below. <laughs> so the first look of the alien that we get is, um, it's crawling out of the water. And just as a quick note now on pronouns, if I say he, I'm talking about the pilot Davidge. If I say it, I'm talking about the Drac Jerry. Because I believe it's an it. It it is doesn't have a gender. Um, yeah, so the alien it is like slowly emerging from this like lake, and it's exactly like Stargate Fire and Water, where uh, they go to their planet with the yellowish shores. And they're on the beach there, just standing there, and these sort of waves and uh, water disturbances appear and go, come closer to the shore, and then it just emerges this gnarly reptilian face with pointy knobs and spikes and plates and things on its head. You can Google what he looks like, what the makeup looks like. It's amazing. Really amazing. It's all prosthetic. It's not CGI. Um, it's exactly like fire and water. Um... Stargate has, owes so much to this movie. It's actually insane. <laughs> like, so anyway, he um, he goes in for the kill. He's sneaking around. He's up on this hill around. It's above this lake. The alien doesn't know he's there. So he's, he's moving in closer, but then he slips and he drops his gun. The gun goes flying down and uh, it's gone. And so the alien's on an alert. So Damage pulls out his knife and is going to go down and get revenge on this filthy reptile bastard. And uh, later, oh my god, the amount of fade to blacks or dissolve to the next scenes in this movie, the editing, the transitions, oh my god. <laughs> it's funny, in Star Wars, every single scene transition is a wipe. 
to show that action is happening meanwhile somewhere else in the galaxy. In this movie, every scene transition is a slow dissolve to show that meanwhile, absolutely nothing is happening for the next uh, two days. <laughs> so anyway, some at some time later, the uh, the alien is asleep and there's this insane lightning storm happening. It's like meteors are falling and... I don't know. And it's an alien planet. You can just have a lightning storm come out of nowhere and be incredibly intense and localized. So the Drac is like loving this. This is a natural environment. So he goes for a swim. He's just having a good old day swimming in lightning water. Um, so Davidge thinks this is his moment. He runs in to grab his gun that he dropped. Um, and he gets to the wreckage of the alien the alien's, like, wrecked pod without being seen, and finds this bottle of red chemicals or something in the wreck, pours it all into the lake, and ignites it, and then laughs maniacally. Ah, 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 ah. And then he goes, then he, like, yells at the alien and says, big mistake, ugly! <laughs> something like that, like, tadpole face. He calls them all these really uh, weird but kind of funny things. You made a big mistake, tadpole face. It was something like that. And he runs to get this gun, the alien gun. But um, it's got an electro-shocker self-defense thing attached to it. And um, so unfortunately he's paralyzed. And the alien is just looking at him from the water and then just slowly goes over and makes a decision slowly to spare his life. Takes He gets the, the electro-shocker off him and then just leaves him tied up there. And that's Act 1. And then the big, big Act 2 begins. And like I say, it's the majority of the movie. They try to communicate. It begins. The, it's the only word he knows... Sorry, the only word that the alien knows is uh, Earthman. Earthman. Something like that. And then there's more weird, weird narration and a weird fade to black dissolve transition to show that maybe three or four days have passed of this guy being tied up and suddenly they're talking together in more than rudimentary sentences it's incredible how fast they, that the, the track learns English, it really is um, yikes <laughs> it's, it's so weird where they put this, this species the tracks um, on the kind of spectrum of aliens. In Stargate SG-1, of course, all the aliens can speak English, or if they can't, then they very soon learn it. Remember the knocks? It took them, like, an hour. It took us a little time to learn your speech. Or the Asgard. You can speak English? We speak many languages. <laughs> this, these Drax learn English incredibly quickly, and not just, uh, you know, go, stay, caveman stuff, just, uh, it's like, incredibly complex. <laughs> anyway, Louis Gossett Jr. won an Oscar for this, by the way, well-deserved, of course, um, he, he brings, in spite of being an alien, an incredible humanity to this role, it's it's really like Gollum. The level of fucking over-the-top commitment he had to go to to get this character to work. You know, he then, you know he, he walks and talks and moves and speaks and thinks and 
cocks his head differently, you know, all of it. And then there's the prosthetics. <laughs> if they were making Lord of the Rings in 1985, this is what Andy Serkis would have to be like to make Gollum. I mean, it's a very good comparison. Anyway, there's just a whole lot of stuff. I won't go too deep into every point, but for the next hour or so, um, we go through learning more languages and the the, the, the rivalry. Um, Hey, tadpole face, you Earthmen have ugly face. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> it, it can rip these these dope burns on the Earthman in English really quickly. It's insane how that happens. Um, he feeds him this gross bug thing that he eats, and it's gross, but he, you know, it feeds him. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm screwing up the pronouns. See, this is the thing: is that you want to give this guy. <laughs> the alien reptile, uh, human status, because that's what this movie does well, is that it humanizes a non-human. And of course, I mean, we we all got it. That's what any story about aliens is about, is about racism <laughs> and prejudice. <laughs> but, you know, so we get it. Um, that's the whole point, is that we're making this, these characters see the humanity in each other. And, or actually, in this case, see the drachness in the human. <laughs> we'll get there later. So, the firestorm of meteors comes or something, and it's a lot like the Stargate SG-1 episode 100 Days, where it's, suddenly we're in grave danger and we have to get off the surface and find shelter in a cave. Um, so that's the catalyst. Um, they're no longer prisoners. They're both running from this meteor storm together. That's gets them off running. Um, you know, there's the, all the, all the little beats that you would expect in the road to friendship. You know, there's the first moment where they eat together, the first moment where they talk and understand each other, the first moment where they make jokes and tease each other, the first moment where they have an argument, the first moment where they smile together, the first moment where they go, Hey, it's nice day today. And then, of course, there's the first moment where the alien leaves a knife and, like, unsupervised, and Davidge looks at it and I think he even picks it up and then he just can't stab the alien. Not even in his sleep, you know. He's like, damn it, we're in too deep now. Just can't do it. Because they have to live together. Um, he gives, gives the alien the name Jerry and convinces it in broken English to move away and build a hut together. And quite hilariously, the Drac alien, like an Unas, is bigger and meaner and scarier than a human. So they have to do some, you know, some laboring to build this hut. So the alien uses the human as the, the, the ox, <laughs> the mule to carry all this shit. That's, that's funny. Um, and, um, yeah, the hut collapses, and he's, ha, 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 your hut is shit, it fall apart. You have ugly head, human, earth man. <laughs> That's funny. So this this guy, Davidge, while he's still sort of in the beginning, like, really taking his cues from Han Solo. You know in Empire Strikes Back, um, when Han Solo is running around desperately trying to fix the Millennium Falcon to get off the ice planet Hoth? And he's kind of in a weird, bad mood and, like, ready to lash out at anybody and be his ultimate smarmy self. <laughs> That's really the character note for this this 
uh, astronaut Davidge here, played by Dennis Quaid. It's, it's kind of like a whole movie about just that little person. <laughs> and then another way they show that time has passed is, of course, he's grown a beard. He teaches the alien to sing, Let the midnight special shine the light on me. And they discover these big, gross, weird puppet armadillo cockroach things are running around being eaten by the Silax and that they can use their shells to create a house out of because the shells must be meteor proof otherwise they wouldn't have been able to evolve on this planet or something anyway we discover that the alien is carrying a notebook with runes runic writing in it um Daniel Jackson would love this this is <laughs> <laughs> it's remarkable how this could be an episode of Stargate SG-1. In in the movie, though, i got to say, um, if you're going to map out the characters a bit more, the the astronaut we meet is more like O'Neill. Very crotchety and bad-tempered and prejudiced. <laughs> it's not curi- He's not curious like Daniel Jackson. Only very, very re- reluctantly does he kind of make friends. Um, and then there's all those funny things like, you insult my leader, Shishma, who wrote, wrote the holy book of the Drax, Talmon. Who is your leader? And he's like, oh yeah, my leader is Mickey Mouse. He's a shit. <laughs> How'd you, <laughs> just teasing the alien who doesn't understand. Um, and then of course, Davidge falls into the Sarlacc pit while they're arguing, and he screams, and it's like ripping his leg off. <laughs> it's quite graphic. It's pretty awesome. Um, and so Jerry comes to save him and kills the Salak, or so we think. And then later on, again, dissolved to later that day, <laughs> Jerry's lit a fire, heated up something metal, and is cauterizing Davidge's wound. Um... And then there's a whole lot of getting into it, like, well, what's this book you're carrying? It's the basically the Bible for the Drax, the teachings of this guy, Shishmar, Shishmar, great Drax teacher. And basically, you know, Davidge comes to learn the great ways of this Drac religion. <laughs> it's an evangelical film here. Um, the only reason that the the alien spared his life in the meteor storm and whatnot and saved him later is because of compassion, forgiveness, etc. So at this point, while they're sitting down in their hut doing some nice close-ups with some good lighting, you know, firelight and everything, um, it's when you really notice the uniform that this astronaut is wearing. And it is exactly like the... German Kriegsmarine uniform that I've seen in so many U-boat films. You know those U-boat films where the most evil people in the world are the Nazis who live underwater and torpedo innocent ships and drown people? Yeah, those uniforms. Now, where might you have seen some of those uniforms before? Well, let me think. Maybe that ultimate submarine movie, the best submarine movie ever made, Das Boot. Who directed that? Wolfgang Peterson. The year before. <laughs> so, this is a very, very deliberate, um, subversive message here that Wolfgang Peterson is putting in to this movie 
Um, and we actually see it later on. We meet some high up uh, space officers, officers like generals or commanders, and they're wearing Nazi uniforms, like full-on Nazi general uniforms. So it's very deliberate, and this is where the enemy title comes in. He's taking the, the Starship Troopers approach to this film, um, if you like, if you can put it that way. The humans in this story are not the heroes. I mean, we've been getting clues about it, but this is the biggest clue, is that humanity is actually a shit. <laughs> humanity is not acquitting itself well in the space exploration colonization age. The Drac has been more compassionate and <laughs> human <laughs> than this pilot who is really... I mean, he's a redneck. I mean, he he's literally... if it, You know just calling this guy tadpole face and ugly face and like which is code for n-word you know using the racism allegory this is what this story is about is that this good old boy pilot who works for this totalitarian imperial regime that is bulldozing other cultures and using enslaving people or enslaving aliens uh, he just doesn't give a shit. He's swallowing it whole. He's never questioned it. And he's a racist prick and he's going to learn. Yeah, that blew my mind when I saw those uniforms. <laughs> it's like, damn, that's from the <laughs> German Navy. <laughs> anyway, um, I thought there's, there's some things uh, about the Drac race that are kind of interesting that come up in the middle here number one the drax they sleep on their faces <laughs> kneel and then just collapse forward flat on your face and that's how they sleep <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> like complete face plant and then um up there are standing up on some hills and it's sunset and uh learning more about the the religion, and he says, you must sing the words. And he sings, or it kind of makes this alien noise. And, uh, that's, that's cool. It's, it's the gospel choir. <laughs> anyway, the meteors return, and, um, they're running through a swamp and stuff, and it's dark, and there's vines, and danger and stuff. And, honestly, just to go back to the Star Wars thing. Star Wars, all three original movies have been out at this point by 1985. This planet really, really looks like Dagobah. If you cross Dagobah with the labyrinth, you get this planet. <laughs> uh, um, you know, they have, yeah, more of the friendship developing, you know, they, once the meteors come and threaten their lives, they start arguing. And they come to blows and push each other around. We annex this star system. You stole this star system like you steal people and uh, steal Drax. And um, there's a little bit of like, well, you, fine, get out of my hut. I built this hut and things like that. And it's, it's kind of, I can see where a lot of later pop culture stuff got all of this. This little moment is really reminiscent of the episode of The Simpsons a good uh, 15 years later or so. The one where Homer and Mr. Burns are stuck in the snow cabin together and they go crazy and try to kill each other. It's a little bit like this. It's, it's quite funny. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, the Davidge, the human, says he keeps dreaming about this spaceship, and he decides to leave to go find it. Like, maybe there is a spaceship, it's not a dream, maybe it's real, and it's flying around. And, uh, you know, they're still, still not friends again, and... He said, I had a dream about this ship. I have no interest in your dreams. So, I gave it one point for deflecting emotions here, because they part ways and they're not friends anymore. Except, of course, of course they are. They, they reunite again, but uh, <laughs> they don't have the courage to say it right there. So there's, there's the one point. So, the human goes walking over what looks exactly like Mount Doom and Mordor in the movie The Return of the King, Lord of the Rings. Just fiery, rocky pits of desolation, plains of mud and rock and ash and stuff. Um, he finds a little bit of human remains. A little, a little sign of a human like backpack or something. And it's a ruin. He finds a science station that's been abandoned, and a body. He's like, yes, a human body. Even though it's dead, it's still a human. Oh my god, it's a drac. <laughs> and then he realizes he's actually stumbling across these people called sta scavengers, who you might as well call smokers, because, you know, in the movie Waterworld, <laughs> it's a lot like them, just bad dudes who have got a spaceship and are enslaving dracs to mine something, or dig something, or... I don't even know what they're doing. I suppose they are running a mining operation, otherwise the movie wouldn't be called Enemy Mine, <laughs> but it's not clear, and it doesn't have to be. All you need to know is that they're slave drivers. They're whipping a whole group of drags, burning them, shooting them, punching them, beating them, driving them to carry stuff, you know, it's... yeah. Yeah, nasty. Anyway, so he's like, well, damn, that's no good. And he runs away from that. And by this stage, it's winter time. He's got the beard. It looks exactly like the Revenant. <laughs> he comes back and um, says to Jerry, um, yeah, that's uh, not not good stuff over there. I a, mm. And he doesn't want to, like, scare him. So he just sort of omits the truth, just says, yeah, I didn't find anything important. And I came back. Turns out that Jerry is having a baby. <laughs> um, you'd think it would be weird, because it's a dude under the makeup, um, but it's not. It works. It's, yeah. We, we just accept it pretty well, I think. The, it's, um, <laughs> it's strange. But as he explains, you know, it just when the time comes, a drac will just spit one out. <laughs> um, and uh, so he's getting all, he's been all clucky in the tent alone since Davidge left it. It has been clucky. It has been knitting little pajamas <laughs> for the baby. <laughs> So, suddenly, or something happens, danger, explosion, or something happens, and they have to, um... Ah, oh, there it is, yes. One of the Sarlaccs has buried its way all the way under the plains of rock and dust and desolation, somehow, into their forest, into their very tent, 
and it wounds Jerry, and they escape, and they wander into the exact ice cave from the planet Hoth, where Luke gets carried by that thing. And, you know, he gets struck upside down and has to lightsaber his way out. So I gave it three points there. The the Star Wars references are just... I can't ignore that one. It looks exactly like that ice cave, and I have to award it. And um, <laughs> just like Stargate SG-1, Davidge the human has gone, you know, to see what was in that uh, human camp, the remains of the human camp, and he's come back with a chocolate bar, and he's feeding it. He's like, do you want some? Come on. Stargate, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bunny Way and um, in the, this episode coming up the first ones where, the, where Daniel hangs out with Chakaba Unas he does the same thing with the chocolate bar it's so Stargate anyway there's now uh, like a good 25 minute chunk of storyline <laughs> where Jerry the Drac tells us that in Drac society you must sing the entire story of your family lineage to the High Council for your baby to be accepted. Which means that if, yeah, if the parent dies, there's uh, got to be a whole cast of orphans who have no status in that society, right? That's crazy. But anyway, the baby is coming. And I thought the whole movie was just going to be about these two, but actually Jerry dies. Um, but of course, not before giving Davidge the mission of protecting the child, raising him, and then when the time comes, take him to the High Council of Drax and sing his lineage for me. It's a good thing we've been learning each other's languages this whole time. So, Davidge has to do a C-section, except it doesn't even really need a C-section. He just, like, rips Jerry's abdomen open with his bare hands. <laughs> Or something like that. It's kind of off-screen or, or out of sight, just because of the camera angles. And good, we don't need to see that kind of gross gore, but uh, <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay. This this was opening. Oh, my God, you're at 10 centimeters. <laughs> and in spite of Jerry dying and this baby being born and it being the complete height of emotion in the film, I actually am so bored. Yeah, it's so boring. <laughs> this has just gone on long enough. So... He's, Davidge, has delivered the baby. It's a gross reptile baby. Just like Men in Black, right? Congratulations, Jerry. It's a squid. <laughs> Which presents us with two disturbing possibilities. Possibility number one. This thing that he's holding is a puppet. Which is exceptionally gross and slimy and moving around really, really lifelike, like an infant child. Woof. Possibility two, this is an infant child put in the exact same prosthetic makeup that the adults were for the Drax. And that is even more gross, because, wow. <laughs> That's a lot to put an infant through, I think. Anyway, fade to black, dissolve transition, time is passing, and it's spring or something, and the kid is called... What is the kid called? Du, 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 du. Zamis. The kid Zamis is growing up really fast and is now curious. He's like six years old and just asking questions like, Why are you going? Why are you hunting? Where did I come from? Why are you not the same as me? You know, all of those fun young kid questions. 
it's a little bit strange, like, you know, this is a classic Stargate SG-1 move where they double translate things that don't need to be translated, <laughs> at least not twice. Um, you know, Davidge is talking to Zamis and is trying to teach him or something about something, and, um, you know, why do I not have five claws on my hand like you, Davidge? And he, like, translates it into drag for him and English. And it's it's weird, like, the way he does it, he, the way that Dennis Quaid delivers the line, kind of, you would think he was trying to translate to help the kid understand. But hang on, this kid doesn't speak any language that Davidge hasn't taught him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Why would translating it make any difference? You're the one who taught him every word that he knows. <laughs> It was just a little bit strange how they handled that. Anyway, for some reason, the kid is um, kneeling down by a pool in a dark cave, and I just thought, ooh, Thor's hammer. This is just like Thor's hammer with the Unas following Teal'c and O'Neill in the cave, and the claw is going clinkle clunk. Who enters my domain? I can't do James Earl Jones' voice. Guess what? That ship that he was hearing in his sleep all the time has returned. It's the scavengers. Oh no. Um, so he runs all the way across the pits of desolation again. The plains of desolation. It is. It's the slave drivers, the scavengers, his worst nightmare. So he's like, okay. He comes back and says, okay, zombies, there's bad man over there, so we are never traveling in that direction. Ever. <laughs> Just stay away and everything will be fine. Teaches the kid how to play football. That's kind of cute. Um, and then, of course, because kids won't do what they're told, the kid is missing one day. The very young do not always do as they are told. Where is the kid? Oh no! Of course, the kid has gone to look. You told me. You told me not to go look. So I want to go look. <laughs> and some humans find the kid. These are bad humans. And this is really drilling down to the core of it now, is that we see that Davidge has actually been working for the wrong team. Team Human is the bad guys. Team Human is the enemy in this case. And it also, back to the title, who's the enemy? If the humans are the enemy, that means that uh, Davidge has sort of switched to Team Drac. You know, so that's how, that's kind of how that all falls together very loosely at the end. These bad humans... They grab the kid to put him into their slave gang of, what is it, dozens and dozens and dozens of other Drax that are all running around being beaten and whipped. But the kid slashes his face and escapes. And uh, just as the other one of the humans is about to escape the kid, <laughs> about to shoot the kid who is escaping, he gets an arrow in his neck from Davidge. By the way, I didn't mention that. Davidge made a bow out of, a bow and arrow <laughs> out of some of the wreckage. And a very fine job, almost like Jack O'Neill in the episode, The Knox. Just whipped it up real quick. And then I gave it one point for a push and swell as the guy dies with an arrow through his fucking neck. <laughs> so there's a few points in this movie. And then there's something weird, like another weird time-passing dissolve moment Suddenly, Davidge is back up on the space station, and he's having a funeral. The corporation is giving him his last goodbyes and about to incinerate him or bury him in outer space. And of, of course, there's still 25 minutes in the fucking movie to go, so you know what's coming. 
he just as they're about to push the button and eject him or whatever, you know, he wakes up. <laughs> it's classic, again, Stargate SG-1 stuff. He's aboard the human spaceship, but he's sort of been converted to the alien religion, and all the military scientists want to come and study him. The bad guys, the like I said, the space Nazis wearing the important totalitarian fascist uniforms. Ugh. <laughs> and again, just like Star Wars, there's this robot medic doctor thing, droid, that's putting him back together like he was injured badly. It's not clear how he escaped from the scavengers who he killed, but then... So he managed to kill the scavengers, but then he wasn't able to save the kid, and then he, like, passed out and got taken back to the space station, even though the scavengers would never return to the space station because they're not, you know, they're criminals. They're outlaws. What's going on? I don't know. I can't follow it. Anyway, he gets clean-shaven again, gets rid of his beard, um... And just is like, fuck this, you know, he reunites with his friends, but now because he's sort of changed sides, changed allegiances, they can't understand what he's saying. So he just jumps in another fighter and says to the control officer, I'm blasting the door open if you don't open it. And then he does it. Just blasts the fucking space station open, flies out of there, killing a whole bunch of his buddies behind. Um, flies down to the planet and, uh, there's the classic trope of the, the guards are just very oafish and they're playing poker and not really watching, so he very easily sneaks into the slave camp. He talks to the drac workers, you know, so here we go. The allegiance has changed. He's not talking to the humans. He's going in to talk to the dracs. He's the one, that they're the ones that he identifies with. He, he's, you know, he's on Team Drac now. Yeah, he attacks the overseers. Again, like a Stargate SG-1 episode, the last ten minutes, just a big old fight. <laughs> <laughs> he attacks one of the slave overseer, slave driver dudes, throws him into the mining apparatus, just like Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, where <laughs> Padme is being chucked into the giant Genosian molten metal works. Kind of like that. And the Drax help them, they know the way around the ship, they know how to rescue the boy, you know. The boy is told has told us all about you. You are the human. You are the one he calls uncle. Yes, I've come back. And just one by one, takes out all the guards and the evil men, the slave drivers, the scavenger dudes, finds the kid. The kid is barely alive, stuck in a cage, breaks him out, but then the final boss is hanging out and the slaves all do an uprising because you knew that was coming. All the guards gone, and the final boss has the kid and is like about to boil his blood or something. <laughs> and uh, then they just shoot him, and they win, and they beat him to death. And cool. And then at the very last second, his human space pilot buddies have flown down to the planet behind him and walk in and press the stop button on the machinery. And it's really strange that they did that because. Uh, kind of undermines the whole thing that he used the Drac allegiance to to win. I don't know. And then at the end of the movie, <laughs> we go to another narrator. <laughs> Who the fuck is this person for now at long fucking last? And... Uh, it's very brief as well. Yeah, it's like, 
and by in the fullness of time he fulfilled his vow to sing the lineage to the high council. It was so stupid. The name of Zamis was added. No, in, in the end, of course, yes. His name, Davidge, was added to Zami's lineage because he was the father figure. The end. So stupid. <laughs> I'm glad I saw this movie. To, you, I will be fair. I'm glad to have seen it. It's uh, very unique. And <laughs> it does not compromise on its uh, artistic vision. I just don't know that it pulls it off. <laughs> you could probably do like a a 10-minute cut of this movie and get all the important stuff. <laughs> Every bit that Louis Gossett Jr. is on screen, damn good. Damn good. But all the rest of it, the, the things that make good sci-fi, the commentary on civilization and society and cultures and what uh, values we hold, all of that stuff, they dropped the ball so badly. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. But anyway, for a total of 13 points, and I didn't see that coming... So that's pretty cool. And now I've seen it, and um, I don't need to see it again, ever again in my life. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, the episodes uh, with the Unas, the first ones, and uh, Enemy Mine, they're even a little bit too much of a drag for me some days. <laughs> so, in conclusion, yeah, you can see that this movie... Um, was not the blockbuster sci-fi spectacular that Star Wars was, or even like something like Back to the Future, for that matter. Um, it wasn't the space action fighter pilot movie that maybe Top Gun might be. It wasn't any of those sci-fi things. This is more or less a two-man play. You could really do it with <laughs> two, as a two-man play. Um... And to have that sort of scaled up to be a gigantic space epic, you know, they're really aiming for like a super important Planet of the Apes vibe here. This is what they're going for. And it, I'm not sure they pull it off. I, uh, yeah. But uh, while it isn't maybe the giant cultural phenomenon that it could be, I think it's got a little bit of a cult thing to it. Cult following. And as I said, a lot of the stuff watching this movie, I'm like, damn, I have seen a thousand people rip this off in different ways. And that in, there, that's like a, an interesting question. Does that mean that everything is a ripoff of everything else? I mean, that's, that's kind of how culture works, pop culture. But um, on the other hand, maybe it's convergent evolution. Maybe all of these sci-fi things do these tropes, these things... Because it's the right way to do it. <laughs> um, I would like to be done with this now. So, goodbye. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I hope your planet is free of human scum slave drivers. Um, and I hope you enjoy our trip into Stargate SG-1 Season 4, beginning with Small Victories. The Replicators... The Unas are coming. It's good stuff. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.